come to church today because parents see fit to let them study. Uh, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but uh, we'll find out in a couple weeks. But for us as a church family, it's good and important for us to take times to look at where we've been and where we're headed in terms only of the scriptures, not in the agendas of man, not in the plans of all the world. And I loved the video that we showed just a moment ago because here was a man sitting in prison for quite a period of time. And yet God got a hold of his heart. And when that man, Edgar is his name, became a dad later on and he sought to make the most of his time, he said, I know I'm not perfect, but I can seek to be an awesome dad because our Heavenly Father, because God is full of grace and truth. And we looked last week at the story of Noah and the flood. And interestingly enough, I'm not sure if you read all of the accounts of Noah, we would call him an awesome dad. If you look at after the flood, there's a specific instance or two where you would scratch your head and think, well, that's kind of weird. But here's the thing. When you get to Hebrews, he is called a proclaimer of the truth, a proclaimer of righteousness. God uses frail, broken, sinful people to proclaim his great truth. Because God is perfect. God is righteous all the time. God is holy. And he is calling broken people to himself saying, I've got a fix. And it's not you. It's me. And I'll even make it better. I will give you my son to carry the curse that you bear so that you might be saved. Well, then this week, we look at this story, and I want to spell out a little bit of the context for you and tell the story in a few different ways. But we've got this picture of who Jesus is. The one speaking uh, was, was Jesus himself to these seven churches. Some of them were doing pretty well. Actually, the church in Ephesus, if you read that letter, they're doing pretty well, especially in comparison to the church in Sardis. They're sleeping They're too busy resting and doing their own thing to even notice the Lord. Laodicea, they're going to get spit out. They're in all sorts of trouble. Ephesus has done all these goods. Uh, Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know what you've done. You hate wicked people. You don't associate with false teachers. All these things are positive. You've persevered. You've not grown weary. Why is that significant? Because when John himself is writing this letter. This is about 30 years after the letter to the church in Ephesus, known in your Bibles as Ephesians, was written, of which Paul kind of gives a very simple and very practical look at how to be a church full of broken people that are called to unity by the power of the Holy Spirit in difficult times. You see, when the letter was written, persecution of Christians was beginning. When John was stuck on an island in Pat, on Patmos, he had already been, depending on which early church historian you believe, he'd already been dipped in boiling oil once or twice and poisoned at least once. Tertullian tells us the man was attempted to be killed at least three times, never successful. Church history tells us that while he was being dipped in the vat of boiling oil, he continued to proclaim and preach the goodness of Jesus Christ. I am 100% sure that if I am dipped in oil tomorrow, I will not be saying, praise the Lord. I am just not that holy. But here is John understanding full what persecution is all about. 
The church in Ephesus, right there with them. They have lived for 30 years being more and more persecuted in the heart <coughs> excuse me, of Roman persecution and, and just offense by, this, uh, by just a horrible emperor in every sense of this word. Domitian was not a nice man. He was all about power. You know, the very term emperor tends to lead us to think that these guys are chasing their own power rather than the good of others. And Domitian would certainly have seen fit to be that. So the church in Ephesus has faced nothing but conflict from outside, accusations from outside, false teachers trying to get into their midst and say, really, you don't have to do all these things Jesus said, or you don't have to take the advice of Paul. Just, it's supposed to be easy. Yet the church in Ephesus resisted that. They fought for a bigger ambition and a bigger goal. And it's easy for us to look around us and simply cry, woe is us, there's so many things going on that we lose sight of what God is doing and what he can do. And so we, we, we need to revise our vision. Just over three years ago, uh, I went to an eye doctor just to have a checkup for once in a while and found out it was time for me to start wearing glasses. Three years in, I am still not used to them and wish I didn't have to wear them uh, all the time. But I noticed something just recently. These are my, my, my preaching glasses because they're bigger so I can read what I've written and what uh, the Bible says in its small text. I got a little scratch on them. And I don't know about you, but that tiny little scratch, like I can't even show you on my finger how small it is, but it's right there and it just drives me nuts no matter how many times, like even right now, when I look to my right, there's the scratch. And it's always there, and I can't get away from it. No matter how many times I do this, the scratch is still there. It affects my vision. And now all of you are checking your glasses to see if you notice any scratches. Or, in an even bigger way, another thing I've had to get used to is this massive change in climate from when you are inside a building to when you're outside in the summertime. And you walk outside, and if you haven't remembered to take your glasses off, there's this new material on your glasses instantly. And I still cannot explain the physical properties of how my glasses can fog up so fast. Because I've only been at this for three years, but boom, my glasses get foggy and my vision has changed. Just like that. The church in Ephesus was a great church. You really can't argue that. Everything we read about the church in Ephesus is about a people seeking to please God. But what we also see is maybe just a little bit, they'd lost sight of what was truly important and replaced it with what they had seen as, had become urgent. And so this morning, I want to look at us. And I want us to ask the question of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, are we ensuring that we're focused on the right things. Last week, um, right after church on Sunday, my friend Ricky came up to talk to me. And I always wave at him because uh, Ricky wears a, a hat of my wife's favorite baseball team on a regular occasion. And so he, I always know where he is in our congregation because he's got the hat on and it's awesome. But last week he came up and he shared a story with me that is so true of what Jesus was getting at when he was talking to the church in Ephesus. You see, Ricky went through just an incredibly difficult time, and I'm going to have him come on up. Uh, Ricky, come up. 
But in the midst of going through this difficult time that he's going to tell us about in a minute, Ricky had a choice. And the choices that he made changed everything. So why don't you welcome my friend Ricky? Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Ricky, why don't you just real briefly tell us a little bit of what happened that you ended up finding yourself where you were. Um, on May 30th, um, I was feeling really sick. And uh, what happened is when I woke up that morning, I found out my urine was really, really dark. And I thought I just ate something bad. So then I just took, a, took some um, stomach flu pills. But then it, that didn't get well until the, um, that day afternoon. I started seeing my eyes turning um, yellowish. So then um, I rushed to the hospital, uh, to St. Teresa Hospital, and to check out what's wrong with me. And the doctor was really surprised that um, what happened to me. Um, <coughs> sorry, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> So then they said, oh, you need to go to the ER right away. But then this is a private hospital. The ER is closed. So you need to rush to the um, public hospital and get there right away. You are really in a serious bad condition. So then um, thank God for my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. They rushed me to the hospital. They drove me there, and they started doing the blood test. And they said, you need to stay in the hospital. We need to, we need to find out what's going on with your liver. So they diagnosed I having um, jaundice, jaundice, yeah. and acute hepatitis. So they rushed me to hospital. They said you can't get out. You need get you need get antibiotic. You need get um, you need get shots. Antibiotic. You need get vitamin C. So I seen the worst environment before, but I never lived in it. And public hospital was the worst. <laughs> the worst you can be there. So right in there. You can't do anything. You just sat there. You can't eat. You can't drink because they're going to get you um, the x-ray check, the ultrasound check. So all this day that I stay in there, I start praying. And I start calling my brother in Taiwan. And I call my, um, the servant of God in the um, in, uh, United States. They will, I will just say, I'm in very big trouble. I might not make it. So please... Pray for me. So what happened is, the servant of God, this lady in, in, in uh, Los Angeles, while they were praying, they saw a healing angel came down and said, tell Ricky, you're going to have a new liver function. Okay? And a few days later, my brother, they were praying for me. They said, you're going to get out of the hospital. All you need to do is eat right and sleep right. That was very accurate because I'm the late sleeper. I don't go to bed until 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. So what happened is, as I sat there and prayed, what's the purpose that got lead me into this hospital? The environment was so bad. It was really bad. It's the worst I ever experienced. I can't go to sleep because people just yelling and screaming day and night. So I start asking God, what's the purpose? So right after that, they, they did a surgery called an ERCP. What they found is I have a lot of stones stuck on my liver. 
And what happened is um, there's like crystal stones. It's blocking my bile duct, which the, the bile, the juice, can't go through to my stomach to break the fat when we're eating the food. So my, my liver level was so high, it was up to 600. Normal people would be around 13 to 53, but mine was high to 600. They were so afraid that I'm going to have a liver failure. So after the surgery, my liver went down 400, 300, but then it went back up again to 300, 400, and 500 again. So when I would start praying and ask God, what can I do in the hospital? What, what can I do to preach the gospel to the people that it needs in there? So by the seven days, they moved me to a, a small room. And at the same time, there was a guy, his name is Eric. He moved in the same room with me. And then he see me praying. And, and I tell him about Jesus and how I got recovered really fast. And he would say, oh, there's a pastor named Pastor Cole. He came here, he told me about Jesus, but I don't want to believe. Okay? And he would say, why not? I mean, you know, Jesus is great. Even though I'm here, but then he's, he's healing me. So you should believe. And he would say, okay, I'll believe if Jesus helped me to find a job. I would say, you should turn it around. Believe in him first, and the rest will be added unto you. So the next day, the pastor came, Pastor Cole came, and said, hey, do you want to, he was just saying, he called him in, Eric called him in, and said, hey, this guy Ricky, same as you, believe in Jesus, you guys believe in the same God. So the, the pastor came in, they stopped preaching the gospel to him, he was saying the same thing, I'm like, come on Eric, let's do a prayer and, and accept Jesus, and you know, you've been here for two months. And the doctor can't find out what's wrong with you. They can't, they can't find the right medicine. Let's pray and believe in him, believe in Christ. So then he accepted. We're praying, and then he accepted Jesus right there at that moment. After that, the doctor came in and, and, and started telling him, Hey, we're able to find out what's wrong with you. We can pinpoint to give you the right medicine. You're going to get out soon. So he started to praise God. His life is saved. And he started to praise God. And we said, yeah, thanks, thanks the Lord. Thanks, thanks, Jesus. In the meantime, there's a guy. He would just come into our room and watch TV because he's so bored in the hospital. We were just watching TV, watch TVB. And he sees the miracle, what happened to Eric, that he's safe. Within an hour, the toddler able to find out what's wrong with him. And then he started talking to me. He said, Ricky. I used to go to church two years ago, but I don't go there anymore. I don't believe in him anymore. I'm like, why? Because my, my, my wife passed away two years ago. I was so much anger that I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to believe in Jesus anymore. And I'm going to say, you know, and he said he was trying to kill himself these past two years. Then I told him, you know, don't give up on yourself. Jesus never gave up on you. I think you should come back. You should go back to, to church and get right with God. And don't blame yourself. God has, God has his purpose. He, ha, he has his purpose with all of our lives. We're all, we all different, but you need to go back and stop blaming yourself. 
and that day it was Thursday. It was June June eighth. We both got off the church. I mean, got off the hospital. We all we are all fine now. On the Sunday, I gave him a call. I said, "Did, did you go to church? Did you? Did, I mean, I'm I'm curious." So he said, "Yeah, praise the Lord. I went back to church. The pastor in, in that church they 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 welcomed me back with open arms. They were so happy that I'm I'm, I'm I get right with Jesus again." So yeah, this is this is the little te- testimony that will happen in in in, in the hospital. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the thing. Hospitals, I think I've made it abundantly clear, I'm not a huge fan. I don't like spending time in them myself. But Ricky was faced with a choice. None of us in this room would be thrilled that he had to face kidney stones, jaundice, uh, and all the various things that happened because of that. But Ricky had a choice of saying, I'm going to seek the Lord in the midst of a life-threatening, a painful, and a difficult situation, or I'm going to wallow. I'm going to just feel bad for myself. He sought the Lord. He invited his community into the journey with them to pray, to seek the Lord, to cry out. And lo and behold, the reason that Ricky was at the hospital wasn't just to deal with some kidney stones and some liver issues that were very serious, but there were two men that needed to know there was a father that was inviting them home. There was someone that loved them and valued them. And Ricky wasn't ashamed to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know the circumstances you find yourself in, but my prayer is that every day begins with a picture of the ravishing love of Jesus Christ. Because this world will make us weary. This world will discourage you. This world will kick you and beat you and knock you down by its very nature. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing but sin. There are good people or people that do good things, but in their heart of hearts, separated from Jesus Christ, they will ultimately seek themselves first over the love of Christ. And so we need a picture of Jesus that is bigger than the broken world, that gives us the courage and the power to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those in desperate need. Literally in the hospital, Ricky was running a rescue ship. That's what we're called to. It starts with the love of Jesus. It doesn't start with our good works. And I believe that's where Ephesus missed it. Their good works were great. But they were missing the vision they'd had before of the ravishing, glorious, beautiful, authentic and true love and power and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because look at how Jesus is described just in a few verses before we get to the letter to the church in Ephesus. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. The impression there of the sharp double-edged sword is that it's speaking truth. It's dividing. In another passage, it says it's dividing the joint from the marrow. If you've ever tried to do that as you cut like a big piece of steak... It's tricky. Only the sharpest cutting implement can do it. Only the truth can separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And that's what Jesus is doing. And the 
seven stars. He's holding the church in his hands from all over the world. The seven lampstands, the seven stars, the angels that would come down, they are inviting the church to hear the message of God in a powerful way. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Throughout the scriptures, when we're referred to light, it always is pointing us to the truth and the power and the cleanliness and the righteousness of God. Light in the Bible is always a metaphor for righteous purity. Throughout the scriptures, we're called to return to the light. Thy word is a light or a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he also says, I am the light of the world. On and on we go that Jesus says, I am the way to show you where to go. And here in Revelation, we see that it is his light, his brilliance that is to guide us. He's the one showing us where to go. But like Ephesus, maybe we've forgotten just how brilliant he is. Maybe life has gotten busy. You ever say that? I'm pretty busy. You don't really live in Hong Kong if you don't say that, by the way. That's like your test. That's what immigration asks you. Question number one, if you're going to get a visa, are you busy? If you say no, they're like, go somewhere else. You can't live here. So let's say you say you're busy, but in the midst of busyness, how is your life ordered? Because how you order your lives is what's important to you, right? What we do shows what's important to us. If you spend your time with your family, like Edgar was talking about, we see that the value that has. If we spend our time at work, obviously work has great value, which, by the way, is not bad. We make the most of the time we have. But our first love was shown in the previous chapter. Our first love is this picture of spirit and truth and power through the person of Jesus Christ that invites us into a living relationship with him that gives us purpose, that starts with him, that allows us to see a broken world through the very lenses of Jesus Christ. Mine have a scratch in them. His don't. And when we see the world through his eyes, we can be saddened by the world but we don't camp out in the sadness. Ricky had a choice. He could have camped out in his sadness and thought, oh, I'm really going to die this time. Or he could have sought the Lord, sought the word, which Jesus himself has given us. And he could have let God use that situation to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Have you any time in your life experienced the vast greatness of Jesus Christ so much that you've realized there is truly nothing better in life than knowing him? You know the song we sing, Knowing You, Jesus, There Is No Greater Thing? You're my all, you're my hope. For many of us, at one point we did know that. But time, money, family struggles, just the sheer brokenness of the world. My country continues to tear itself apart. There's protests going on in the city we moved from to come to Hong Kong because of a, 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 convic- a lack of conviction against someone that was 
that killed another human being and people feel this great injustice and they feel hopeless. What do we do when we feel hopeless? We must not forget our first love, that there is always hope. He can redeem even the most vile of offenders. What does that scripture mean? It means there's no one so far removed that God himself, through the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ, can't bring them back. But forgotten love can lead us to misplaced affection. It might just be that small speck in your glasses that skews our vision to make us think that we're doing all the right things, which can be very good things, but they miss the relationship that goes with them that drives us. Because as we follow Jesus, here's the reality of the situation. If we follow Jesus on our terms, anybody that works can know this term. We will burn out. You know burnout? Uh, Many of you deal in industries where you have to go around coaching people, helping them either not to burn out or dealing with them after they've burned out. Uh, I've talked to many of you and tried to help different people through those stages. And the bottom line for any of us in Christ Jesus who have burned out always comes back to this. We've lost sight of the relationship and we've made our good works bigger than the person strengthening us to do the good works, the person of Jesus Christ. It's not that the good works are bad. In fact, to the church in Ephesus, Jesus was commending them, saying, good job, well done, hate injustice, abhor false teaching, run away from the wicked ways of those. But don't forget who I am in the process. It is I that's most important. Your works and your deeds are secondary to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your works and your deeds don't draw you to Jesus. Jesus compels you, as we reminded ourselves last week, he compels us to go into this world and make a difference. It's his strength, Acts 1.8, and we'll get there. It's his strength that gives us the perseverance to press on. C.S. Lewis tells us this, when we deal with this idea of misplaced affections, The whole quote, uh, and it's lengthy, but I'm going to read it because it's important. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. In other words, in our fight against sin and against doing the wrong thing, C.S. Lewis is saying it would seem that our... Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. That infinite joy is found in the very person of Jesus Christ. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased that we've lost sight of the great reward that comes from knowing Jesus and living in the power of the Holy Spirit to let God use us to make a difference in the broken world. Instead, we chase self-fulfillment in many forms that make us feel good, that make us feel okay for the moment. But if we all did that in our own strength, 
we would miss what God has for us. Just like the women that were at the prison on Friday. And as they were at the prison, I heard Lori sharing this morning that God had already prepared hearts. And they just, she said, we just showed up. No, you were faithful with the time God had given you. They made time to go all the way out to the prison. They shared the reason for the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. And lives and hearts were turned back toward home, back toward Jesus Christ. And that is why the candles are lit this morning, for the people Ricky knew and for these young ladies that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we rejoice because we will not forsake our first love. We will tell of him. But what happens if you're like me and you feel this morning, Mike, I'm with you. I am easily unfocused. It's easy for me to focus on work. It's easy for me to lose sight of Jesus. Or if I know I should spend time with him in the morning or at night and I get stuck reading the newspaper or checking my phone or doing this or that, what do we do? Oh, I love the very heart of God. Because the very heart of God in these letters, in all seven letters, he not only shows the people, the churches, where they've steered wrong, but he doesn't stop there. He creates opportunity. And in this case, we've narrowed it down to, to three R's. First, as we consider, if I've lost focus, if I've lost sight of the vision of the glory and the awesomeness, and I say awesome not in the 80s way that I grew up with it, but in the awe-inspiring greatness of Jesus Christ. If we've lost sight of that for a moment, God, through Jesus, points us back to how do we get that vision back. And it starts with remember. Do you remember what it was like when you first accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Were you excited? A couple of you were pretty excited. A couple of you, maybe it was a long journey, but inwardly something was different. And you were doing things because you couldn't get enough of God. I remember one friend I had, he's now a pastor. But uh, I was trying to recruit him to come to a Bible college. And halfway through recruiting him, I realized he didn't know Jesus. So we talked through and eventually he came to believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. uh, Became a policeman after graduation and then came back, went to seminary, now is a pastor. But when the Lord got a hold of his heart... You couldn't help but just hear him spew out the word of God. He couldn't get enough of Jesus and what he found in his word right here. Or not so long ago, uh, we had the former Muslim whose name has just escaped me and I didn't write it down. Um, You can look it up. Finding Jesus, or Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus is the name of his book. But he tells the same thing of seeking hard once he knew who Jesus was and just learning and be struck by the greatness of God, remember what it was like when you were following him wholeheartedly, when you realized there was nothing you could do apart from him. Here's the danger for those of us in Jesus Christ, those of us that would call ourselves a Christian. Over time, we feel like there's certain things in following Jesus that we can do on our own. Or we can even use God's word as a weapon that it's not meant to be used on because it sounds righteous. (laughs) And we have to be so careful that our motives are checked by the Holy Spirit because there are times when God's word is needed to be spoken with boldness and truth. But we must always let the Spirit of God 
search our hearts. The blood of Jesus, that relationship with him, making much of Jesus in every area of life. Seek us. Draw us to point out that we've fallen back into some bad habits. We've lost sight of the greatness of God. So the first thing we've got to do is remember how great he is. Remember that there was a better way and we knew that and that we've just lost sight. We've misplaced our priorities a little bit. The next thing Jesus tells us to do, and again, he's giving opportunity. He's not saying, you are irredeemable, you pagan fools. No, these are people that have called on the name of Jesus, that believe in him. And he's saying, you've lost sight of me, so repent, turn back. You've heard me talk about repentance all the time, and we make a big deal of it because it's so simply important. If we've sinned, we're not meant to go on sinning. We're invited to turn back toward home. Because sin at its very core, uh, the, the word hamartia means missing the mark, missing the target. Well, I like to say that if the target is the home that we're invited and adopted into through the blood of Jesus, remember, we are adopted in son, as sons and daughters of the Most High God through Jesus Christ, we're made co-heirs with him, that when we cry out to God, we cry out, Abba. What greater truth to remember on Father's Day than we have access to God our Father who is in heaven through his glorious Son, powered by the Holy Spirit to shape a broken world. So if we've lost sight of that vision, repent and he'll bring you back. You are not unusable goods. You are not expired milk. That was the grossest example I could think of, so I went with it. And here's why. Milk is just one of the greatest creations in all the world. Cows are awesome. They give out great, delicious milk. Their steak is amazing. Everything about a cow is great once it's dead. Well, no, you need the milk to be, you need them to be alive for the milk, so I take that back. But here's my thing. If it's stored too long in the wrong way, milk goes very, very bad. And have you ever experienced that? That taste, that smell, and that revulsion never is forgotten. I can still remember. I was in university, and I opened up my fridge, didn't check the expiry date. It was like two weeks past. In milk, that is not. Don't, don't take that risk. And it still... Oh, so disgusted. That's what sin should feel like to us. Sin should revolt us. We should crave pure spiritual milk that leads us to eat whole foods as we grow in knowledge and depth of insight of our love of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't crave chunky milk. So we repent. We run away from the chunky milk back toward home back toward the life we've been invited to live. And when we do, we do the things we did at first, the things we knew to be true by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. We return. First, we remember there's a better way to live than this. This isn't all there is. Second, we repent. Lord, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Third, we return. Lord, take my life. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. And I'm going to revise how I've done things. I'm going to remember what you've called me to. 
So what does that mean for a church like AIC? How do we, how do we give this legs? You've said, yeah, it's easy for me to lose focus. Well, it can be easy for a church to get caught up in the day-to-day that we need to revise our views as well. So there's a few things that I think we can pull out here that we need to remember. First, we're going to pursue Jesus the way he has pursued us. Revision. Remember, he pursued us so steadfastly that he became man and made his dwelling among us who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. So why don't we revise how we look at the world around us and pursue Jesus first? Because he pursued us. We love because he first loved us. We're not earning his love, we're showing him our love can't be the other way around. It doesn't work. Then we're just good moral people. We will pursue him the way he pursues us. Second, ooh, this one's tough. Because I don't know about you, but people in this world can hurt me. People in this world can discourage us. People in this world can be unjust and do stupid things. But yet who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, made himself a man, taking the very nature of a servant. We will see the world through the eyes of our first love, through the eyes of Jesus Christ. We're going to give people a chance to be redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. We can't fix them, he can. How many people in your life can you think of that drive you nuts? Please don't answer that out loud but I bet you there's one or two or a million. And in that, do we see them as beyond hope? Because here's the thing, Jesus didn't see you as beyond hope, and yet your sins had condemned you to death. My sins had condemned me to death, but God, in his infinite grace and in his infinite justice, made a way for my sins to be paid for, but I didn't have to pay it. So why don't I look at the world the way God has looked at me as an opportunity to show people there's a solution for this brokenness? There's a better way to live that isn't unrighteous, unjust, and unfulfilled. And I'm going to help them see it. I'm going to jump into the mud and walk with people through the most difficult times. That's what AIC is called to do. See the world through the lens of Jesus Christ with clear glasses. By the way, sweat also affects them. Who knew? Third, we will go into a Christless world with his love and hope. If you saw the title of this message, it was about local love. And this is what I love. Because last week we gave this picture of redemption that calls us to proclaim truth no matter where we are in life, no matter what season and what location we are. God's word calls the church universal all over to bring people back to himself. This week, it was written to a specific church in a specific location, and we get this idea that local churches had popped up all over Asia Minor, uh, and that's what we find in, in those seven letters. And in so doing, God was working in local bodies of believers to change the very world. 2,000 years on, we survive because of the faithfulness of people like these churches in Ephesus. And in so doing, 
We are going to follow their example and go into a Christless world with love and hope and courage and conviction. Why? Because we know that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. We've already got the Holy Spirit and he's already called us. He's told us this is your time and we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if you're living in Jerusalem, that's next door. So be your witness to your next door neighbor. Be your witness to your employer. Be your witness to your family for some of you, wherever you are. Second, Judea in your neighborhood. You spread it out a little more. Judea, your province, your district. If we're going Hong Kong native language here, that's our district. So first, we, we've, we've zeroed in on Wampo or whatever area you live in. Then we've broadened out a little bit. Now we're into the Hong Hum district, right? Or if you just go up a road, then you're in the Kowloon City district. So, you know, you can take your pick. But we move out and we invite God to bring us people that we can talk to. What did Ricky do? He said, Lord, how would you use me in a hospital? And he really didn't like the hospital. I'm with you, man. But how would you use me in such a difficult time? Next, we go all the way out to Samaria, all over Hong Kong, all over China, all over this region of the world. We go where God opens the doors for us to go, whether it's in an airplane seat, on a bus, whether it's our family or our friends. We go and we will act in his power. We'll go according to his guidance and according to his power that he's given us. But see, here's the thing that we forget. Often we tell God, give me power to do what I want to do. (laughs) And we tell him how we want him to work. Isn't that great? I see it all the time. I do it all the time. God, I really think this is how you should solve this problem. So why don't you go ahead and do that for me right now, buddy? Good. John Stumbo, president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, says it this way. He said, God only gives you power to do what he's called you to do. <laughs> Nuts! You mean I'm gonna, I have to seek him first to know that his power is sufficient for what I'm called to do? Yeah, you do. So in other words, as I take these steps, whatever God has for me and my family in these days to come, I've got to seek him first. Yeah, you do. And then I'm going to act in his power as he opens doors for me in relationships that he brings in. Yes. Whether that's next door, in your district, in your city, or in your world, wherever he leads you, he will give you the power to do what he has called you to do. You don't tell him what to do. You say, Lord, here I am. I'll do it. And you let him take you on an adventure. We came to Hong Kong for about four years, and that was 12 years ago. It's been an adventure every step of the way. That's not all. In the very tune of something we've talked a lot about, it also starts at home with whoever we find in our homes, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's those that work with us or for us. We pray that the parents of the children and the hearts of the children will be turned back to each other and pointed to the glory of God. We need families to be strengthened. We need people to proclaim, come back home to your heavenly father. Your father on earth may have failed you, but your heavenly father never will. 
What are we doing if we don't dive into family situations and invite people? If your dad has failed you, you can still love him. If your boss has failed you, you can still love him because the love of God never fails us. The hope of Jesus Christ is always sufficient. He is always enough. So when we think about the vision we have, it must start and end with Jesus Christ. It must start and end with bringing people back to himself and must not start with our agenda for how we expect him to do it. I remember before I was married um, 16 years ago, uh, I had a list of these were the things that my spouse would have to have in order to get me as their husband. Oh, I was so stupid. There was one on the list that was valid and then every other one was selfish and showed a lot of my character, that I wanted everything that was going to make me happy. In the end, I got way better. But the non-negotiable was a love of Jesus Christ. AIC longs to be a church that is used mightily by God to go into all the world, to be found faithful with what he's called us to. But we will only do that by looking first to Jesus Christ, by embracing the love of Jesus, the grace of God, the hope that we have in him by the power of the Holy Spirit that covers over a multitude of sins and that allows us to step into a dirty world and say, come back to Jesus. Come back. Maybe today your vision needs revised. Maybe you need to check your glasses and say, Lord, help me see this world through your eyes. That's repentance right there. That's turning back toward him. It doesn't have to be super complicated. It's a simple matter of saying, I've taken this into my own hands and tried to do it on my own. Forgive me. Help me to start walking toward you again. And by his power, he will give you the strength to take that first step and then that next step and then the step that follows. And he promises that there will be times when it's very, very difficult. But we're called to be faithful in those times because his love will never leave us nor forsake us. Our vision is a picture of the glory and the greatness and the justice and the hope and the love and the power and the miraculous provision and redeeming power of Jesus Christ. Amen? We will go into all the world to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, not because we can do it on our own. There's 200 of us in this room, less, actually, probably about 175. We can't do that on our own but we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, encouraging each other while it is still called today, encouraging each other to follow where God has called us to. It's not just saying, hey, I like your tie. Yeah, you got a tie on, good for you. No, it's encourage each other to seek first your first love and then letting him do the rest. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you give us lenses with which we can see a broken world through eyes of hope, through eyes of grace, and through eyes of truth. Please don't let us walk this world on our own, in our, <clears throat> in our own strength. Instead, Lord, may we seek you first. May we never forget our first love. And would you give us power to act in miraculous ways?
just as you've used people like our prison ministry team, like Ricky and like so many others that have been faithful when you've given them just tremendous tasks. In the big and the small, find us faithful. Find us seeking you first in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand once again as we close our service with some songs of praise and worship.